Another exceptionally busy week in Washington, D.C. and around the world. Much is happening, of course, even as we talk today. We're very proud and uh, pleased to have back with us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, Wisconsin's senior senator, joining us from Washington, D.C. today. Good day, sir. How are you? How are things in the swamp? Great, Matt. Uh, it's still the swamp, but uh, <laughs> glad to be on your podcast. Well, just to take a moment here, we were talking before we went on the air basically about uh, the cold temperatures, and you're a Midwestern guy, you're a Wisconsin guy, you spent time in Minnesota, of course, and you told me, and I think there's a good argument to be made in what you said, that we have kind of wimpified ourselves uh, to the cold, especially the stuff that we experienced a couple of weeks ago during the polar vortex. I think that's basically true. I, I came just short of calling you wimp because you started complaining about it. <laughs> but uh, no, you know, I'm, I'm an old dude. I, I remember uh, growing up in the Minneapolis area, routinely you had temperatures of minus 20, minus 30. We never heard about windshield back then. They, were, they weren't calculating it back, back then. It was just cold. I called it nostril sticking cold. You know, the, the snow would crunch beneath your feet. I, I, I always enjoyed it. We were out there shoveling snow uh, over six-foot banks. Um, Mm. It was a challenge. I'm a Norwegian from Minnesota, Wisconsin, and so I, I, I love it. Uh, it's, it you know, I love the change of seasons. Well, I, I do have to point this out, and I think it's only fair that uh, when you were shoveling that much snow and when you were dealing with that much cold, they hadn't invented calculators back then, so they couldn't calculate wind chills. Am I correct in saying? Uh, there weren't calculators, you're right, but uh, by the time I got into high school and college, we started doing the rudimentary Texas Instrument calculators sure. that... Uh, you know, your watch is you know, a million times more powerful than what those big old clunky things were. <laughs> It'd have to do it all on a slide rule or something. Well, let's delve right into some big issues today, some things that you're weighing, I know. And we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now. It's President Trump's declaration of a national emergency to build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Obviously, we have at this hour, and I don't know where things stand, perhaps you could give us an update on it, but the House uh, voting on a Democrat-led measure that would roll back this declaration, and there appears to be at least some, some level of support for it in the Senate. Let's begin with the House and just your thoughts on where things stand today with uh, congressional action. Well, let me start out by saying I, ju I just left to send a lunch where the vice president came and made a pretty convincing case along with a bunch of us. You know, senator after senator was, was just standing up saying, well, he, here's the crisis in my state. Steve Daines talked about, the, mm. you know, the, the methamphetamine yeah. crisis, you know, coming in from the southern border. It used to be people in their little meth labs with Sudafed. Now it's coming up, flowing through the southern border. Right. You know, one of the things I mentioned was the chart that we've been working on and just recently updated showing unaccompanied children and people coming into this country illegally as family units. In 2014... And I want your listeners to really think about this. In 2014, 120,000 individuals came in illegally, were apprehended either as an unaccompanied child or as part of a family unit. 120,000. And, of course, President Obama called that a humanitarian crisis, and it was. Mm -hmm. In 2017, last year, or 2018, 145,000 unaccompanied children and people coming as family units came in illegally and were apprehended. This first four months of this fiscal year, we're already up to 120,000. Hmm. We're at 2014 levels in four months of this fiscal year. Now, don't tell me that's not, part, that's not a huge problem and every bit as much of a humanitarian crisis as it was when President Obama was in office. And when the Democrats, by the way, were voting for $9 billion of border 
uh, better barriers. F- over $40 billion of, of border security is in that part of their 2013 immigration bill. So the point is, I am, as many of us are, concerned about the whole constitutional issues here, but this is really shifted from a constitutional issue to a political one, where the Democrats refuse to support what they've supported in the past, all because they loathe President Trump. That's the only reason. So they have turned this into a completely political issue. And so certainly the vote in the House is all politics. They don't even know what the administration is completely proposing in terms of you know, how they're going to repurpose funds. They don't even, have, even know. So they're going to vote to disapprove something that they don't even know exactly what the administration is doing. One of the things we're trying to do in the Senate is take a look at the ambiguity within that National Emergency Act, the votes of disapproval, is it amendable? Can we just do our own Senate version, since we have the majority in, in, the, in the Senate? So we're, we're looking at this thing. This is not the end of the story. And by the way, it's not the end of the debate. We have to secure our border. We have to fix our horribly broken immigration system across the board. So again, I, I know this is the, the big issue in the news, but uh, this isn't going away. And, and from my standpoint, this is much less a constitutional issue, although I fully understand the constitutional issues involved. This is just becoming raw politics. And um, yeah, I think that's how, how, how Americans really need to view this. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. So where do you think it all stands uh, when it gets to the Senate? It's going to pass the House. The Democrats have the majority there. Nancy Pelosi is leading this. All kinds of speeches about how awful and terrible this is that the president would do something by the way that a number of presidents have done since the mid-1970s when Congress gave the president authority to do this. Now, uh, admittedly, this is a little bit different. This is a national emergency involving border security. But we had a U.S. representative in Illinois who served in the National Guard who came back this week and said, if this isn't a national emergency, I don't know what is. Uh, that's a lot of backstory, but the question still stands, sir. Where do you think this thing goes in the Senate? Well, first, it's going to pass in the House. And we don't know. I don't know what we're even going to vote on in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of ambiguity in that law. Again, prior Congresses have given any president all kinds of their constitutional authority, which is, which is unfortunate, but it's there. And presidents are using it. And President Trump is going to take a look at it, and they use it. So we should have the skill and courage to change the law if we don't like it. Uh, so, again, I, I can't tell you exactly what resolution we're going to really vote on, whether we're going to take up the House, whether we amend the House, whether we offer our own uh, resolution. And personally, I'd kind of like to wait for all the information from the administration. And the vice president said that they will provide us exactly how they're going to go about doing this. I'd like to listen to their argument before I'd ever make up my mind. You brought up a very good point. And I think you've already stated the answer, but I want to dwell on it for a little bit longer. What is the difference between a national crisis, a humanitarian crisis that you mentioned during the Obama administration, when uh, Congress put uh, $9 billion on the table, and now that it's been uh, a fight tooth and nail for the president and his administration to get half of that funding, um, in the budget to at least begin the work uh, securing that border. What, what, what changed over the last so, couple so, of so years? So here's the difference. So in 2013, when the Democrats voted for $9 billion of better barrier funding, 36,000 unaccompanied children and, fam- and people coming as family units uh, were apprehended in the southwest border. 36,000 in 2013. Mm-hmm. So 
Last year was 145,000. The first four months of this year, we're at 120,000. So uh, you tell me what the difference is. This this pro this problem is growing. It's it's a greater humanitarian crisis than it was. Yes, there's no doubt about it. We we apprehended more people back in 2005, 2006. These were Mexican economic migrants. Oftentimes they were they were apprehended multiple times the same day because they'd be we'd catch them and put them across the border and they come right back over. Okay, so that it's not an apples and orange uh, comparison when you hear. People like Joe Scarborough saying, "Ah, oh, it's you know, it's a fallacy. You know, apprehensions are way down. It's a completely different problem. The one we need to focus on are the unaccompanied children and family units that are exploiting, the, you know, our laws. By the way, this was all sparked by DACA. You know, prior to that, on average, about 4,000 unaccompanied children from Central America came into this country illegally prior to 2012. DACA was used by the Coyotes to incentivize people, even though it doesn't apply to them." Our laws basically make it apply to them because once you come to this country as uncompanied child or as part of a family unit, we have to release you. And once we've released you, once you're not detained, even if you get a final order of removal, we only remove about 7% of non-detained illegal immigrants. If we detain them, we, we are able to remove about 77%. And the reason that's not 100% is because in a lot of countries, we simply can't, they don't accept their people back. So again, it's a huge problem. It's being completely... Uh, mis- misinterpreted is not the right word. I mean, it's just not described properly by the Democrats. Th- you know, th- they say this is a manufactured crisis. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is a huge problem, and it's a growing problem. And it needs to be fixed. And better barriers are part, part, but a very necessary part of the solution. And they realized that back, again, when 36,000 unaccompanied children and family members came in, and now they're saying it's not when 120,000 people have crossed in just four months. Give me a break. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. I know you uh, noted it before, but um, let let me ask it this way. If uh, the resolution that's going through the House passes, and it's, it's sure to do so, w- would you uh, vote against that resolution if it comes to the Senate in its current form? I, I don't want to answer that because I'm not sure we're going to be voting on the Senate. Um, I, I think at this point in time, the way that Democrats have totally politicized this issue, the fact that they are just lying about the fact that this is not a huge problem, the fact that they're being so hypocritical, I, I just view it more as a political vote, a political statement. And I want to support the president. We have to have better barriers. We have to secure the border. I think the American people are supportive of that. So I, mean, I think this is much less a constitutional issue now as opposed to a political one. But I, my hope is we're not going to vote on that. I'm hoping we vote on something else that either restores funding, changes that National Emergency Act to get rid of the ambiguity. Uh, because, again, I think, the, I think the president absolutely has the constitutional authority to do what he's doing. He's got the legislative authority to do what he's doing. Now, I may not like it. I may not like the fact that prior Congresses have given presidents so much of their constitutional authority because you know, basically there, there's no courage there. They, they, wanted, they didn't want to take responsibility, whether it's on tariffs, whether it's on national emergencies. They just want to – we'll just – Give that to the, the president so we can't be blamed. That's part of what's gone on for decades. And I think Congress should start, you know, demanding some of that authority back to us. But we ought to do it legislatively, not just through you know, really meaningless votes of disapproval. Because let's face it, that's not going to stop this. The president will veto that. There's for sure not a veto-proof majority sure. in the United States Senate to, to uh, actually override a presidential veto of the Pelosi resolution. But let's see what the, let's see what the Senate does on this. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can 
offer our own resolution or at least amend theirs and restore, for example, funding for the wall. And let's see if Democrats will support us on that. You bet. You raise a very good point that at the end of this, uh, no matter what happens, the president has the authority and he has signaled he would uh, veto a resolution if it is uh, what uh, the House under Nancy Pelosi is proposing. Let's turn our attention now quickly to the Trump uh, uh, visit to Vietnam, the Vietnam summit, the second summit with Kim Jong-un. What are you expecting from this? I know that uh, the administration has kind of lowered expectations. A lot of things have been accomplished. I don't think they get the kind of reporting that they should. Uh, there have been uh, concessions made by North Korea. There, there has been movement toward peace, uh, but there still are a lot of big questions, a lot of concerns. What do you expect from this summit this week? When I was in the business world, I always tried to under-promise and over-deliver. Mm-hmm. It's just good advice for anybody out there doing a budget. Uh, you're, you're always better off explaining why you exceeded your sales and profit budget than explaining why you, why you didn't hit the over-ambitious targets. So from my standpoint, I think that's what we ought to be doing with North Korea. Realize this is a devilish problem. I mean, this is a really tough nut to crack here. And I would rather see America talking to Kim Jong-un and President Trump talking to him, trying to develop a relationship, try, trying to, and, and by the way, I think the president is exactly right from a standpoint that if North Korea accepts what the West can provide, you know, integration into the world economy, they've got huge potential, just like South Korea did, huge potential in terms of economic prosperity and, and growth for the people as opposed to, you know, being like six inches shorter than South Korea because they're in a constant state of near, you know, of a, uh, certainly food deprivation. So there's so much to be gained and not little, not, not much gained if we never talk to him. So I support the president trying to reach out, trying to develop a relationship with Kim Jong-un. We have to recognize they're not going to give up those nukes anytime soon, but we can maybe put them on a more transparent path. So I think we need to take a look and, and accept continuous improvement. The fact that we got the remains of some of our soldiers, the fact that we got some of our hostages back, uh, those are positive steps. The fact that they're not doing nuclear testing right now, they haven't tested another ballistic missile. Those are good things. That, that I think you have to credit the president with. Uh, I don't think we can expect a president to go in there with one or two meetings to get the complete, verifiable, irreversible dismantlement of, of their nuclear program. Uh, but that is the overall goal. And I think we need to keep the pressure up. But, you know, a little carrot and stick approach maybe is not the, the worst uh, type of uh, approach to take with Kim Jong-un. Final heavy lifting question for you. Let's turn our attention to tariffs. You called for President Trump to back off on tariff increases. He did with China this week. Where do you see the tariff war heading from here? Well, I completely support the president in terms of what he's trying to accomplish. I mean, China is the bad actor. Uh, Cyber theft, espionage theft, uh, IP transfers, uh, you know, because they're really not following the, the rules of the world economic order. So, you know, he's trying to shock the system. You know, we've also been taking advantage of other trading partners as well. He's trying to reset that, you know, but I think it's my responsibility making sure that he and his negotiators understand that every day we don't conclude these deals, there's a lot of economic damage being done and they just need to be aware of that and and sensitive to it. But I'm trying to do it as, as quite honestly, behind the scenes as possible. Uh, We just had a a good meeting with uh, Larry Kudlow today uh, in, in one of the senator's offices and trying to do it privately uh, so they're aware, because I don't want to undermine his negotiations, which seem to be actually going quite well with China. So mm. I want to support the president in his, in his quest to reset these, these uh, trading deals, 
really, really for, for the benefit of all countries. I mean, it, it would benefit China if they actually adhered by the rules and, and uh, didn't cheat. Uh, they, their economy would do a whole lot better if they really adhered to capitalist pr- principles within the, the world trading system and, and, and abided by the rules. That, that is in their best long-term interest. So yeah. you know, hopefully we can get those agreements, but it is important that the, his administration realizes that there's some real real problems, you know, real damage being done. And every day that uh, goes by without concluding these deals, uh, the damage and, and uh, harm is, is growing. Well, it seems to me, based on what I've read and based on some folks on the inside I've talked to, that uh, the president is certainly getting China's attention, and that's really the, the first step here And uh, as we move on. All right, you've been very generous with your time. You're a, a veteran of this segment. We've done it before. We've got to bring it back again. I promise you it won't hurt that much, uh, and it won't take that long. But we call it Five Fast Questions. Sir, are you buckled up? Are you ready for five qu- fast questions in this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers? I'm- I'm strapped in, yep. All right, here we go. Number one, did you watch the Oscars? No. You and just about everybody else, by the way. Uh, Number two, who in Congress would win the Oscar for best makeup? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) But but most of us have to wear it at some point in time. It's one thing they don't tell you about this gig is... You have to get made up for TV. You do, uh, and you, you've had a number of sessions on TV lately, so plenty of makeup. We won't tell the, the tough folks you grew up with in uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. Uh, would you be open to a mauve New Deal, sir? A what? A mauve New Deal. I know that the Green New Deal has gotten a great deal of attention and a great deal of criticism, <laughs> deservedly so. Would you be open to a mauve New Deal? Uh, that's kind of like a purple color, right? I mean, I, this is where I have to have, have my wife tell me, you know, what's mauve? I think it's kind of like purplish-brown, isn't it? It uh, is. So, sound, sounds good to me, but I, I'd really have to understand the details there. Well, mauve, mauve is the new black uh, or yellow or whatever the, the pattern is this year. Uh, what superhero is way overrated? These are really hard. I know. I um, I had to up your game. You were so good last time around. I just had to up it here. There's there's superheroes. They're all good. Yeah, aren't they? Well, we would have accepted Doctor Spectro. He's a dweeb, and uh, Aqualad and Codpiece too. Okay, number okay. five. How about Ant Man? Ant Man. Yeah, yeah. Ant Man's not good. Just uh, the name itself is bad. Exactly, and you know he's quite vulnerable, and you don't want a lot of vulnerability in superheroes. Number five. If you wrote a book. What would you title it? These are really hard, Matt. Um, uh, this is the A-level ACT we've got. How about that right there? This is really hard. <laughs> There's a good title. Very good. Fair enough. I think that pretty much describes what's going on in Washington, D.C. It's not easy. But uh, you make it so in terms of... Uh, Uh, The time you spend with us, we're very thankful for that, and uh, we do appreciate your time, and we'll talk soon, okay? Have a great day. Take care. You bet. Yes, another successful round of five fast questions. They are challenging. They are a bit on the difficult side. But that's what you can count on when you come to MacGyver Newsmakers. Senator Ron Johnson joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. I'm Matt Kittle reporting.